Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, happy Thanksgiving and welcome to the Speedway Show. Speaking of Thanksgiving, do you know how many calories are in an average Thanksgiving dinner? Well, according to the New York Times, the average Thanksgiving dinner has almost 2,500 calories. Turkey with skin, stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, Brussels sprouts, bread, butter, cranberry sauce, green bean casserole, sweet potato casserole, all add up to just under 2,500 calories. To burn that off, you'd have to run at a pace of a 10-minute mile for four hours. And what did you do on your Thanksgiving Day? Well, you know, I actually went to the gym in the morning and was quite surprised at how many people were there. Then for dinner, I went to a friend's house. They had family over, and we talked and laughed and giggled and ate every bit of that 2,500-calorie dinner. It was great, so much so that by 7.30, (laughs) I was in bed for the night feeling very fat and very happy. The next day, back I was in the gym, but boy, was it worth it. And, you know, I have come to the point in my life where the gym is not a punishment. It's really something that I truly enjoy doing. So part of what I think when I have time off and the kids are off at uh, my kids this weekend, we're off visiting with their dad's family in Michigan, and so I'm thinking, this is great. I get to go to the gym every day. So I was not feeling at all guilty when I went to the gym, but it was wonderful. And uh, I ate ate everything. I had cheesecake, I had apple pie with ice cream, and I had something orange. I think it was sweet potato pie. And then, of course, there were the the sweet potatoes, the sweet potato casserole, and the cranberries. I have a sweet tooth, so if it's sweet, I'm eating it. And, of course, the turkey with the skin and the green beans, and, and, and. It was fantastic. So one of the things that we're going to talk about today, other than food and how lovely it was, uh, since we're talking about Thanksgiving, the title of today's show is Thanks for the Curses. Why? Because anybody can be thankful for the blessings, right? We are always encouraged to be grateful for the blessings that we receive, That is not difficult. When things are going well, sure, you can be grateful. But what about when things are not going well? What if you have been knocked down time and time again and you're just not feeling like life is going well for you? Let me give you a quote by Haruki Murakami. He said, And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That is what the storm is all about. And I think that's absolutely true. There are so many times when we go through stuff and we certainly don't feel thankful. There are times when we feel completely inconvenienced by things that happen to us and we're mad about the inconveniences. One of the things that I'm always grateful, and I always say a prayer of, of 
of concern, but also a prayer of thanksgiving is when I see accidents. I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, I was on my way to pick up my kids from school. And I had to be there before a certain time, and next thing I know, the traffic is completely stopped. Couldn't figure out why, but as we crawled along and crawled along very, very slowly, it turned out that there had been a three-car accident on the highway. And two lanes were closed, and so we were down to one lane, which is why nobody was really moving. Well, I could have complained. I did call the school and tell them, hey, I'm going to be late. And they said, well, you know, maybe that's why all the other parents aren't here because you're all stuck on the highway, which was true. But what I realized was that had I been on that highway maybe even just five minutes earlier, that might have been me in that accident. I might have been one of those three cars that got hit. So this is one of those times when I look at it and is it inconvenient for me? Sure it is. I had to be late picking up my girls, and that pushed back everything else that I had planned to do that evening. However, by the grace of God, I wasn't the one who was in that accident because if that had been the case, I'd have never made it to pick up the girls. And hopefully there were no fatalities, but those cars were in pretty bad shape. So that is one example where I would be better off just being thankful for the inconvenience as I'm sitting there on the highway wondering what happened because I was not the reason for all of that traffic to be backed up. I'll give you another example. And actually, we're going through, we're going to go through a lot of 9-11 examples. I had a friend, his name was Johnson. Johnson lived in New York City. And Johnson worked for, I think he worked for, he was a broker for Merrill Lynch at the time. And this was back in 2001. And I remember having this interesting conversation with Johnson where he was just complaining because apparently in New York, when you bought a certain kind of car, you couldn't just sign up to insure it. You had to take the car in so they could inspect it and verify that it was indeed your car. So Johnson, poor thing, had purchased a Porsche. And he had to take his Porsche in so that they could verify it was his before they'd give him the insurance. So, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, gee, I can't afford a Porsche, but, you know, gee, what a shame for you that you have to be so terribly inconvenienced that you have to take your Porsche in just to get insurance. Shucks, shucks, right? So I'm just laughing at Johnson, who's just, you know, complaining away. Well, wouldn't you know it, his appointment was on the morning of September 11, 2001. So... He is sitting on the Brooklyn Bridge, stuck in traffic, complaining still, because now not only does he have to go in and take this Porsche to get looked at, but now he also is stuck in traffic and he's unhappy. But he's sitting there in traffic when he sees the, uh, the plane fly into the Twin Towers because, of course, he worked in one of them. So he's sitting there and just horrified because some of his colleagues, no doubt, are in the office already. Had he not had that appointment, had he not had to take that car in, Johnson would have been in the office because he would have he was in the office usually I think around six o'clock in the morning, so that would have undoubtedly been a very very different day for Johnson. There were so many others and stories of others who did not make it um, into the office on nine eleven. I'll give you a couple of examples. 
The owner and developer of the World Trade Center properties is uh, a gentleman by the name of Larry Silverstein. He had an office on the 88th floor of the North Tower. On the morning of September 11, 2001, he wanted to go to work, but he had a dermatologist appointment, and he didn't really want to go, but uh, apparently his wife made him go. And actually, if you check on the um, speedwayshow.com, you will see a link to the interview where he talked about that. So his wife makes him go. And uh, personally, I heard that and I thought, gee, I wonder what his dermatology problem was, but he didn't say. Anyway, off he goes to the appointment. And meanwhile, his two adult children, Lisa and Roger, who also were uh, supposed to be at work with him, were running late. And because he was at this appointment and because they were running late, all three of them survived. Now, in fairness, there are people who ask questions about how it was that the three of them just happened not to be in the building and did they know something, but the bottom line was all three of them survived. Silverstein did lose four employees in the attack, and two of the four of them had just been hired. And, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, the new hires probably thought it was great that they had this new job because most of us assume that an event like a new job is a good thing. Right, And all of those Silversteins probably felt the way my pal Johnson felt about his insurance appointment. What a nuisance to have a doctor's appointment. What a pain to be late for work. But thanks to those inconveniences, all three are alive today. Another example. On the 106th and 107th floors, of the World Trade Center was the restaurant appropriately called Windows on the World. The executive chef, Michael LaMonaco, was off to work on the morning of September 11, but he had a noon appointment at Lenscrafters on the first floor to get his glasses repaired. So he comes in, and instead of going up to his offices at 8.15, as he normally would have done, he decides to go to Lenscrafters to see if they could get his glasses fixed early. This delayed his going upstairs by 30 minutes. As he left to start going up to the floors, he hears this rumble in the lobby. Now, he doesn't know at the time what it was, but as it turned out, it was the sound of the first plane hitting the tower. When he got outside, he looked up and he saw the fire where his restaurant had been. And again, there is, if you go to uh, the SpeedwayShow.com or Speedway.com, there is a link to his interview where he talks about that experience. On to other examples. There were lots, and we're not going to go through all of them today, but let me give you just a few. Some of you may be familiar with Grammy Award winner Patty Austin, and uh, I've got her one of her songs called Monday, Monday playing in the background, so you might be able to pick it up, but... Patty's godfather happens to be none other than Quincy Jones. On the morning of September 11, Patty was booked on United Flight 93 from Boston to San Francisco. She had to change the flight to a day earlier because her mother had a stroke. As a result, she was moved from performing on the second night of the Michael Jackson Tribute Concert in New York City to the first night. She says that is what saved her life, because had she boarded Flight 93, 
she would have died with all of the other passengers when they stormed the cockpit and tried to take back control of the plane from the hijackers. This is the plane that crashed in the field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. You probably heard about that at the time. Patty later said that she felt her life had been saved for a reason. Now, she didn't know what the specific reason was, but this experience did move her to increase her charity work. So, again, this is another one that if you go to com, you will see her interview where she talks about that experience. So that's Patty Austin. Actor and former rapper Mike Wahlberg was born and raised near Boston, Massachusetts. He starred in movies like The Perfect Storm, Boogie Nights, and most recently, Ted, which was a comedy that uh, was, um, it, it was released not too long ago. I just saw it not, not very long ago, too. On September 11, he and some of his buddies were scheduled to fly on American Airlines Flight 11 from Boston to Los Angeles. At the last minute, they changed their plans and decided to go to Toronto, Canada for a film festival instead. So they actually ended up flying from Toronto to L.A. Well, when that flight was hijacked by the five al-Qaeda terrorists and crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center, all 87 people on board that plane, including the five hijackers, were killed. And Wahlberg said he had a lot of dreams about what his experience might have been had he and his friends been on that flight. Now, interestingly enough, you know, he was kind of cocky about it because he claimed, he went as far as to say, essentially that the hijacking would not have been successful had he been on the plane. And there was a huge outcry of people, you know, uh, throwing tomatoes at him. Uh, metaphorically and, and to the point where he ended up having to apologize for having made those comments at the time. But these are all examples of inconveniences, detours in life, things that on their face seem to be curses, but that actually turn out to be blessings. You just don't know at the time that this was a blessing. So this is why I encourage you all, don't just think about the great things that you're happy and grateful for this Thanksgiving, think about all of the curses and all of the inconveniences and everything that you have learned. I'll give you examples from my own life. I had a boss once upon a time. This is um, uh, the first job I had after I graduated from law school and started practicing law. And she was sort of my boss because I was self-employed at the time. But uh, she owned the law firm that I worked in. And the good news was, and the reason I wanted to work in that office was because she was one of the best litigators in the city of Dayton and, in fact, the entire county, hands down. Excellent, excellent litigator. So I figured I'd learn a lot. But as a manager of people, she was absolutely awful. She managed by intimidation and scare tactics. She fired a lot of people. We had a lot of turnover. She was absolutely awful when it came to managing people. And, boy, did I want to quit that job very, very early in the day. And uh, there were many times I felt that she treated me unfairly. She wasn't fair about the money. She wasn't fair about, you know, sometimes she would just trick you into doing stuff, and then she would look at you and sort of say, well, you know, but you agreed, and you're sitting there going, well, you didn't give me all the facts, and if you had, I wouldn't have agreed. But, you know, it was it was not a good work environment. Morale was terrible, and um, I wanted to quit. But one of the things that I got out of that experience was she taught me how not 
to manage people. So later when I did uh, get freed from that job, one of the things I learned was from her was, you know, what does what what does it do to the rest of the staff when the person at the top is a bad manager? She taught me perseverance. I didn't leave that job because of her, which is what I wanted to do. And actually, it was my dad who told me not to quit. And uh, he said, "Don't don't you ever let anyone change your destiny." If you went there to learn certain things, then you make sure you learn all those things. And until you have learned all those things, you stay. Because there will always be bad bosses. There will always be bad coworkers. But you do not let them define your success and your career. And, frankly, she, as I said, she was an excellent litigator. And she was a very hardworking woman. And so being around her actually developed, for me, a pretty solid foundation for the rest of my career. And because I had those experiences now, years later, now that I don't practice in those same areas, I did criminal law, bankruptcy, divorce, I did juvenile work, I have taken those experiences, those job experiences, and they have developed a pretty solid foundation for the rest of my career. Would I ever want to go back to working for that woman? Oh, goodness, no. But... Since it's over, and since I had to go through it, I can see the value. There are lots of lessons from bad parenting. You hear about the son who never touches a drink because his dad was an alcoholic, or the daughter who spends her life working with victims of domestic violence because she came from an abusive home. You hear about the pastor who shares her painful story of molestation and how she was finally able to forgive her father in order to inspire others and prove that no matter what happened to you in the past, you can let it go. You can forgive, and you can move forward and define your own successful future. That was actually the story of Joyce Meyer, who is a very uh, prominent um, television, uh, well, she's not a televangelist, I suppose. She's an evangelist, and she's a, she's a, she's a pastor, and she just happens to have a really big television presence. So these are all examples. And since the Speedway Show is all about relationships, we cannot leave without exploring how every failed relationship that you ever had probably could be helpful to you. I had a very good friend of mine. Her name was Miguel. Still is, actually. Her name is Miguel. And what she said to me when I was thinking about starting the show about relationships and, and we're talking about ideas and should we talk about bad relationships, and she said to us, you know, there is no such thing as a bad relationship if you learn from it. I have long remembered her words because to this day, I believe that Miguel was and continues to be absolutely right. Think about the relationships that you have had. Because in my own relationships, I can certainly draw a pretty straight line between the things that went wrong and the things that I learned from to the things that I have subsequently done right. Because I wasted a lot of time and effort trying to be the person that I thought my ex wanted me to be, and he left anyway, I learned that the person who loves you must love you for who you are. And your desire for that person must never cloud your judgment and cause you to try to be someone or do things that are not authentic to who you are. I have also learned to be assertive in a relationship and express the things that I need in a positive and constructive way. And I can accept it if the other person doesn't want to fill those needs. I don't complain about him, but 
I get to make my own decision about whether or not I want to stay in this relationship under these circumstances. Think about your own relationships. I'm going to give you some examples, and perhaps you can relate to these. Because one ex criticized you for never smiling enough, maybe you have learned to be kinder and gentler. And perhaps, if you're like me, I can't tell you how many people have complimented my smile. Because one ex accused me of being too clingy, and our marriage counselor observed that the former spouse and I had a codependent relationship, I have learned how to be in a relationship without suffocating my partner. Because I had sex too early in a relationship and saw the devastating effects of it, I have learned the value of abstinence and much more patient, uh, and am much more patient about building a strong friendship first. Can you identify with any of these? I could go on and on and on, example after example after example. If one woman has said it, if one man has said it, there are a hundred, there are a thousand other men and women who have had the same experience. But what I want you to think about is all of your relationships that you consider failures and see what nuggets of learning you should have gotten from each one of them. You know why else that's important? Because the lessons you don't learn, will present themselves over and over and over in your life and cause you misery until you master them. I am grateful, personally, for all of my terminal romantic relationships because today I am a much better romantic partner and I am absolutely confident that there will come a day when I will make an amazing wife for my husband. So other failed relationships, let's think about One of the, at least this is a a relationship that I've heard a lot about just because this woman is so famous. I am talking about the British artist Adele. We have all heard of Adele. You've probably heard her story. She had a relationship that went terribly, terribly wrong, and it caused her a lot of heartache, right? Do you remember this? And uh, I've heard her talk about it in interviews, and she has said all sorts of things about how badly that relationship went, and she was so um, hurt, and she was so devastated. And because of that, she wrote and sang the song. Actually, I don't know if she wrote it. I think she might have written the song. But she sang the song called Rolling in the Deep. We have all heard the song. And it came out of her heartache. Rather than wallowing in it and letting it cripple her forever, she channeled all of that heartache, all of that depression into her music. And now, I don't even need to tell you who Adele is, right? So this hit, Rolling in the Deep, reached number one in 11 countries, and it was on the top five in a whole lot of regions. It was her first number one song in the United States and reached number one on many Billboard charts, including the Billboard 100, where it was number one for seven weeks. By February of 2012, Rolling in the Deep had sold over seven million copies in the United States, making it the highest-selling digital song by a female artist in the United States and Adele's best-selling single outside of Britain. So think about that. Think about how she must have felt when that relationship came to an end, right? 
oh, my goodness, it's over. He's left me. I hate it. I'm all by myself. This man that I thought, oh, we could have had it all, and now he doesn't want me. This is so awful. There cannot possibly be any good that comes out of this, right? I'm sure she thought all of those things. But look at this. She's a millionaire as a result. Would she take back that relationship and how horribly it went? She might say, well, you know, I'm not glad that I went through it. I wasn't happy for it, but I wouldn't change a thing. I read a Christian fiction novel called The Shack Once. It was a USA Today bestseller and the number one paperback trade fiction seller on the New York Times bestseller list from, actually it was from June 2008 to early 2010. In 2009, it was awarded the Diamond Award for sales of over 10 million copies by the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. According to the author, William P. Young, the title of the book is a metaphor for the house you build out of your own pain. There was a scene in that book. I loved this book because it it, it gives you the scenario, what if you could stand face-to-face with God and ask him about everything and talk to him about everything. Um, and the protagonist in this particular book had lost his daughter. Young girl, I think she was about six, six years or so, six-year-old kid, and she gets abducted and raped and killed by a serial killer. And so he now gets to confront God and he asks the obvious question, right? How could you allow such horrible things to happen? And it wasn't even just about that. It was everything, right? You see all the horrible things that happen in the world. And how could God possibly just sit by and watch and do nothing? And among the answers that he gets from God, and I confess I cannot do justice on this show. You just It's one of those books. I highly recommend you read it. There's a link on the, on the um, speedwayshow.com for the, the book. I highly recommend that you read it, no matter what you believe about God, because it does give some really insightful answers and, and ideas. But one of the things that God responds with is, in this case, it was God was in the form of a woman. Um, but she says, you don't know what you have been saved from. And isn't that the absolute truth? When you're stuck in traffic complaining about how you're going to be late to pick up your kids, you never think that had you been in that exact spot five minutes earlier, you might have been the person in the three-car accident that caused the traffic to back up in the first place. When you're stuck at home because your child is sick, you might not realize that, you would have been on the Minnesota I-35 bridge at the precise moment that it collapsed and fell into the Mississippi River. I have had many times in my life when it felt like I was being knocked down at every turn. My marriage failed, and to make that even worse, I was having a hard time making ends meet when left with a really big house and a financial burden that had been built on two salaries, and I made less than half of our previous combined household income. So that sucked. A few months later, after the divorce was final, my father had a heart attack and died, and on and on. And it just felt like, oh, 2008 was just not the year for me because it was just one thing after the other after the other. And I remember accusing God at one point of just hating me. I know you hate me. For all my sins, I'm sure it's my fault. But, you know, now I see that some of those events, like my father's death, well, that was not really about me at all. That was about my dad and when it was his time to go. But 
God is the ultimate multitasker because on the bright side, because there is always one. And if I can find a bright side in my father's death, trust me, you can find a bright side in everything. The bright side of my father's death was the timing. God took him home at a time when I was already at such an emotional low that the numbness from the divorce basically carried me through the death of my dad. And I remember praying and saying to God, you know what, I just don't have it in me to throw myself on the floor and pitch a fit because my father's gone because I am emotionally bankrupt right now. And God said to me, well, you don't have to. You don't have to throw a tantrum and pitch a fit and go through all of the things that you think you have to. So instead I went home and focused on being there for my mom and my sister and walking in my father's footsteps and all the places he went and asking him to reveal to me the beauty that he saw in his days. And in that way, I was able to connect with my dad and just know that even though his body had been left and buried in the ground, his spirit lived on with me in my heart forever and ever. And he was now more accessible because he's with me all the time. So I say to you this Thanksgiving season, be grateful. Thank God for all of the curses of your life. Thank God for all of the inconveniences of your life. Count all the things you thought were failures and embrace the learning from them. Pick yourself up and keep on going. If it feels like the same failures keep coming your way, ask yourself what you are missing. Because as I said before, until you master those things, those lessons will keep coming. And once you master them, there will be a new lesson to learn from and a new task and a new challenge. But hopefully if you are paying attention, you will also be able to look behind you and see a trail not just of difficulty and angst and challenges, but you will also be able to see the trail of growth as you have gone from the little uh, the, the 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 tiny little um, delicate plant to the little sapling and ultimately to the great big old oak tree with such deep roots and a trunk that nobody can, that is so wide and so strong that no one can ever break you again. So until next week, this is BUA saying go in peace and be grateful for all of those curses and inconveniences of your life. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.